Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of books that we have before us, 66 books, which are your holy word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand the few words that we're going to examine in one of those books today. Lord, we pray that you would be with us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we look at your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray that we would have ears to listen to what he has to say. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, have you ever heard about something good and then wanted to check it out for yourself? Other people have testified to the goodness of something, but you're a little sceptical. Uh, you might take their word to some extent, you might believe them, but you want to really check it out for yourself. I think there's many instances in our life where we could point to such an occasion. Uh, one happened recently for me for the vivid lights that are on in Sydney. So it seems to be getting bigger each year uh, that Sydney puts on this light show that happens in winter. And lots of people rave about the light show. They're telling me how great it is and how better it is than previous years. And so, of course, I believe them to some extent, but then I thought I really need to see it for myself. So we went in one Saturday, looked at the vivid lights, and I saw that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. I was a bit disappointed. I thought, oh, yes, it's okay, um, after about five minutes. And... Uh, I was uh, ready to go home, and uh, so it wasn't uh, the testimony of other people I saw did not add up to what the reality was. Now, I shouldn't be too harsh on vivid lights, because I also think that fireworks, after a, you've seen a couple of them, you've seen them all. I'm not that impressed with light shows, whether it be fire or whether it be uh, lasers pointing around Sydney Harbour. You might think otherwise. My wife does. Uh, she really liked the show. But uh, I was a bit more sceptical about the whole, uh, the testimonies that were coming to me. And then when I saw the reality, uh, I saw that the testimonies weren't what I thought they would be. The Samaritans that we're looking at in John chapter 4 have found something that they really love. They've come to this because someone has testified to them about something. They've come to be enthralled with something in John chapter 4. And that's what we've been studying for a number of weeks. We've been looking at the Samaritan woman as she encounters Jesus. And then we've seen the people of the village of Sychar, the Samaritans, have come out and are enthralled with something. What is it that they are enthralled with? Well, it is with Jesus Christ as the saviour of the world. And that is my first main point this morning. The Samaritans believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world. If you want to follow my main points, they're there on the uh, inside of the church bulletin. The first being that the Samaritans believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world. And we see that in verse 42 of John chapter 4. Verse 42, page 1053 of the Black Church Bibles, we read... They said, that's the Samaritans, to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. These Samaritans have come to something really good. What is that thing? Well, it is the saviour. It is a saviour, and particularly a messiah that they've been waiting for. Uh, some manuscripts, some Greek manuscripts actually have the word Christ at this point at the end of verse 42 to push home the idea that they have found their Messiah. 
And the Samaritans were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a saviour. Uh, we see that uh, by what the woman says uh, back in verse 25. Back in verse 25, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, we read, The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. The Samaritans believed that a Messiah was coming and that this Messiah would be one who would explain the scriptures to them, explain who God is, and explain the way that they can be right with God. And now, here in verse 42, they've come to understand that the Saviour is here, that the Messiah has come. One has come who will reveal God to them and will reveal how they can be right with God. That's what it means to be saved. You must have been in a position of peril if you were saved, and they believe that someone has come now who can save them. Save them from what? Well, the big problem of humanity is, of course, sin. Can save them from their sins and the wrath of God. Who is the person that they believe is the saviour? Well, of course, it's Jesus Christ. Verse 42 says, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that... This man really is the saviour of the world. Who's this man? Well, of course, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus, who the woman has been speaking to and who they have now been speaking to, they believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the saviour, the one who can bring them into a right relationship with God, the one who can save them from their sins and the wrath of God to come. Now, how certain were the Samaritans that Jesus was the Saviour? Well, the text actually tells us, verse 42, tells us that they were very certain that Jesus is the Saviour. Verse 42 says, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know, we know. They don't say we believe. We know a higher level of clarity here. We know that this man really is the saviour of the world. And it's interesting, they don't just say no. We know that this man really is, really is. He verily is the saviour. He truly is the saviour of the world. The Samaritans have become enthralled with Jesus Christ. They have recognised that he is the saviour, that he really is the saviour. But to what extent is he a saviour? Well, it's interesting what it says there, what they say about Jesus. They say that he really is the saviour of the world, of the world. Jesus is a phenomenal saviour because he's the saviour of the world. Now, what does it mean when it says he is the saviour of the world? Because the word world has different meanings, like many words if you look up any different, uh, any certain English word in a dictionary, it's not like it's every, every definition is just one of them to match up with any English word. There will be different meanings depending on different contexts that the word is used in. And even in John's Gospel, John himself uses the word world to mean different things. See, some people would look at this text and say when it says that Jesus is the saviour of the world, it means that he is the saviour of every individual person in the world. He saves every single person. 
And so people would say that everybody goes to heaven because Jesus is the saviour of the world. But is that what the text means here? Or are there different meanings for the word world? Well, yes, there are. And as I said, John himself will move between different meanings of the word world uh, throughout his gospel. For example, world can mean most people. It can mean most people. An example of that would be John chapter 7, verse 3. Flip with me there, page 1057. John chapter 7, verse 3, where Jesus is encouraged by his brothers to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And we read in verse 3 of John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one wants to become a public figure, uh, who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. When they use the word world there, his brothers, to Jesus? Do they mean Jesus must show himself to every single person? No. They're encouraging him to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, and show himself to the world, meaning most people, or at least all the important people. All the important Jews are in Judea. And so the word world here can't mean every single person on the planet. It, just mean, it can't even mean every single person in Israel. It just means all the important people in Jerusalem. You must start to reveal yourself. If you want to be an important person then you must reveal yourself there at Jerusalem. But the word world can also mean all people on earth, and John uses it in that context in John chapter 14, verse 9. Flip with me there, turn with me there. John chapter 14, verse 9, page 1068. Page 1068, John chapter 14, verse 9, where Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? No, verse 19, sorry. Jump with me down. I missed my one there. I said verse 9. Verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. Why is that? Because Jesus is going back to heaven. So who is the world? Well, it means all people. You can't actually see Jesus anymore. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, who you are in the world, you can't see Jesus in the way that the disciples were seeing Jesus and that people were seeing Jesus when he was here on earth. Also, the world can mean the universe or the earth. And we see that in John chapter 17, verse 5. John 17, verse 5, page 1070. Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer and he says in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What does the word world mean there? Well, it means before the earth, before the universe was created, before the cosmos was here. And so the word world means something different in this verse as it has in other parts of John's Gospel. And then even later in John chapter 17, verse 14, Jesus has not stopped. He's praying one prayer and he uses the word world in two different meanings in John chapter 17. Look with me at verse 14. Verse 14, John 17, verse 14, it says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
The word world is used there three times in that one verse, and each time it's used there is to refer to those who are opposed to God. It's not meaning every single individual on the planet. It's meaning those who are corrupt, those who are opposed to God, those who are in rebellion, active rebellion to him. So then, we've got different meanings for the word world. And we want to know what kind of saviour Jesus is when he's the saviour of the world. So what does it mean in John chapter 4, in verse 42, where the Samaritans say that Jesus is the saviour of the world? Well, it can't mean every single person on the planet. Because we know that not everybody is saved. When you read the scripture in its context, in the rest of the scriptures, we know that there are people who are suffering in hell. We know that there are many who are destined to eternal torment. And so it cannot mean that Jesus is the saviour of the world. There is not unlimited atonement. There is not universal salvation. Atonement is limited to the elect. So what does he mean when he says, and what do they mean when they say that Jesus is the saviour of the world? Well, they mean that he's the saviour of people from all nations. Jesus saves people who are not just Jews, but people from outside Judaism. Earlier in the passage, Jesus had affirmed that salvation comes from the Jews. In verse 22, when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, he says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation, saviour, salvation is from the Jews. But we understand with the New Testament that the ways are open so that salvation is not just for the Jews, it is from the Jews because it goes to all nations. In the Old Testament, God had a particular place for his people, the Jews. But in the New Testament... There were hints in the old, but in the New Testament, this is clearly proclaimed that Jesus is the saviour, not just of the Jews, but of all nations of the world. And this is of particular relevance to the Samaritans, who are not Jews. And yet they've come to know Jesus as the Messiah, their Messiah. Even though he's the Messiah of Jews, he's also their Messiah. He is the saviour of the world. This is a revolutionary concept in the New Testament. And you see the persecution that happens to Paul often in the New Testament in Acts is because of his proclamation that Jesus is for all nations, that he preaches to the Gentiles and other Jews hate that, that he's taking the message to those who are outside Israel. But this is the mystery of God that is proclaimed in the New Testament, that God is the saviour of the world, all nations. And the Apostle Paul is particularly clear on this. As I said, he gets persecuted for preaching to the Gentiles. But even in his letters, he brings this out. The mystery of God. What is the mystery of God that Paul loves to talk about? It's that the Gentiles are now saved with the Jews. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 3, page 1157. 1157. Ephesians chapter 3, reading from verse 2. Uh, he speaks a bit about it in uh, chapter 2, about the, the way that the, 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 the Jews and the Gentiles are now united, that there's no dividing wall any longer. But then in verse 2, he makes a very clear statement of it. Chapter 3, verse 2. 
He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. He's got a revelation from God about a mystery. What is that mystery that has been revealed to him? Verse 4. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What is the mystery of God that was revealed to Paul? That Jesus brings all nations to God. That Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. And here in John chapter 4, this truth comes through to the Samaritans. That the Messiah of Israel is also their Messiah. The Saviour of Israel is also their Saviour. Because this Saviour is the Saviour of the world. This is a revolution for the Jews in the New Testament and for other nations who were worshipping all kinds of other gods. That there is one God who created all men and he has sent one Saviour by which they can be saved. Just as the Jews have been saved through that Messiah as well. And we shouldn't forget that. Even though I know most of us are made up of other nationalities, none of us here, I think, can claim to be a Jew. But it is an amazing privilege that we know the Messiah of the Jews and we are saved through him as well. God's chosen people in the Old Testament were the Jews. Yes, there were some others who were added as well. But it's only in the New Testament that the floodgates of heaven are opened and all nations can now stream to God through that Messiah. And it is a privilege that someone who is not of Jewish heritage is standing up the front here today and proclaiming that Messiah to you as well. I always feel indebted when I meet Jews. I don't meet them very often, but I visited one this week. I see her... uh, Pretty much every month I go in and, and meet with her. And I, I said to her this week, I said, um, I haven't said it before to her, but I said, I, I always feel really indebted to you when I come over because you are part of God's chosen people. And I am only grafted in to that original vine of God. And it's a privilege that I can be part of that same kingdom. That she is descended from Abraham and she has been part of the chosen people and she's a Christian as well, so she is definitely part of the kingdom of God. But I feel like I'm sort of... She's a Christian and I'm a Christian, but she's a Jewish Christian and I'm kind of... I'm on the outside even in that sense because even Paul talks about it being for the first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. We are grafted in and we should never boast about our place in God's kingdom over Judaism. It's such a privilege to know that Jesus is the saviour of the world. So the Samaritans have come to this understanding. How have they come to this understanding, to this belief? in John chapter 4, that Jesus is the saviour of the world. 
Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. The Samaritans believe because of the woman's testimony. The Samaritans believe because of the woman's testimony. And we see this in verse 39 of John chapter 4, which we've looked at in uh, previous weeks. John chapter 4, verse 39, we read, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, that's Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And then down in verse 42, we read, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said, which means they did have faith in Jesus. They believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. But we have to remember that their faith that came from believing the woman's testimony is not the strongest of faiths because, of course, it stands on the testimony of a human being, and particularly in this case, a notorious uh, human being. Uh, We've looked at before about this woman and the sinful life that she had and how she seems to be notorious in the town. So they believe in this woman's words, but how strong could their faith be as a result of this woman's testimony? Just as today, we recognise that the testimony of those around us is not always that great. Uh, We hear things and then we're a little bit sceptical about the testimony that comes from that person. Even recently, um, my son told me that uh, he has a friend at school and when the tooth fairy comes to this friend at school, that person gets $100. His little friend gets a $100 note uh, from the tooth fairy. And I went, oh, okay, because, of course, Joshua has been losing his teeth and, uh, and he has been finding something under his pillow and uh, he's been comparing it at school with his friends and his friend said, I get $100 when I lose my tooth. And I thought about this and I thought, wow, there you go. Um, and I know people in Des Moines are generally fairly wealthy and so it's possible that a parent in Des Moines would give $100, at least maybe for the first tooth, to a child. But then uh, Jill came downstairs. I heard this at breakfast with Joshua and Jill was still upstairs. Jill came downstairs and I said, did you hear about Joshua's friend? He gets $100 from the tooth fairy. She said, ah, yes, I heard this. She said, I know the friend's mum and I know that she would not be giving her son $100. Uh, Not because she necessarily can't afford it, but that she's that kind of mum that wouldn't put $100 in a child's hands. So here you go, you've got testimony that I started to believe. came from my son, who's generally a fairly credible witness about a lot of things, and it's come from a child at school, and you think, oh, well, you know, and then you think about Dremoy, and you think, oh, yeah, it's true. But you understand that human testimony is not always that valid. And these women, uh, this woman has testified to Jesus Christ being the Messiah, the one who could save them, Um, She says that back in verse 29, uh, when she comes to the town, she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She's witness to the truth about Jesus Christ. But how can they know for sure? How can they say, we know that this really is the saviour of the world? Well, that brings me to my second main point. Uh, my, My second, my third My third main point, the Samaritans believe because of the words of Christ. The Samaritans believe because of the words of Christ. And we see that in verse 41, that 
Many more even become believers because of Christ. In verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. Some believed because of the woman's testimony, but once they had Jesus stay with them for two days, many more became believers that Jesus is the saviour of the world. And they even say this to her in verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. How did the Samaritans come to believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world? To know that he really is the saviour of the world? It's by hearing the words of Jesus Christ. By hearing Christ himself. And the words of Christ are convincing The word of Christ is convincing to these people so that they believe that Jesus really, they know that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. Which is very interesting when you compare the Samaritans to the Jews. What do the Jews love to look for from Jesus Christ to be convinced that he is the Messiah? They wanted miracles. They're often asking him for miracles. Whereas here we see that It is the words of Christ. They don't mention miracles. We read verse 41, And because of his words, many more became believers. The word of Christ is sufficient to bring these people to understand that he is the saviour of the world. And that is the same today. The word of Christ is sufficient. Many people want miracles from Jesus today. They want some sort of proof that Jesus is, is the one that they should be following. They want some sort of healing in themselves, healing in somebody else. They want a million dollars planted in their bank account just overnight. They want some sort of miracle. And then they will believe, as though the word of Christ is not sufficient. No, the word of Christ is indeed convincing and is sufficient. And so we have to remember that we may start with the word of man, the testimony of man, like this woman has here. She's testified and Samaritans believe. But it is the testimony of man we can start with, but then we should move on to the word of Christ, to the word of God, which is always infallible and inerrant. Human testimony is fallible. Human testimony has errors in it. But the word of Christ never has error, never is fallible. And so we should want to get to the source and see for ourselves. Someone can testify about something to us. We should take it, evaluate it, but we should always go to the source. Just like I wanted to go to the vivid lights and make certain that they were good because I didn't necessarily trust the testimony of someone. And like the Queen of Sheba in that passage that we read this morning from 1 Kings 10, she heard wonderful reports about Solomon. So she came for herself and spoke to Solomon and saw Solomon's kingdom. Now we've got to be careful that we don't despise the testimony of people. The woman's testimony was good and valid and some people believe because of the woman's testimony. But Christ's word, we must remember, can do more in two days than human testimony can do in 20 years. 
We can go and tell people about ourselves and we can tell people about Christ using our own words. We can explain those things and it's a good thing to do. But we must remember that the word of God is far superior. So if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, come and listen to Christ. Don't take my word for it that Christ is the saviour of the world, come and listen to the word of God. And it's contained within this book. The words of Christ are here. Listen to what Jesus Christ has to say and turn to him in repentance and faith as he commands you in his word. I can tell you to repent and believe until the cows come home. But you should hear it from Jesus Christ as these Samaritans heard when he stayed with them. And if you are a Christian, never be ashamed to bring the world to Jesus Christ and to hear his word. What does that mean? Well, if you are a person in this world, then you should be bringing yourself to the word of Christ. Do you want a stronger faith? Do you want to know that Jesus really is the saviour of the world? Know it. Then hear the word of Christ. Bring yourself to the word of God. That is the way to know that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. I read a quote, I read it on one of Spurgeon's sermons this week, and he actually said, in, uh, it was uh, a sermon on this passage, Charles Spurgeon, who's a great preacher in the 1800s in England, and he said, I usually find that the greatest doubters are the people who do not read the Bible. The greatest doubters are the people who do not read the Bible. They do not read the word of Christ. So then they have all kinds of doubts about who God is, who they are, and who Jesus is. If they would only come to the word of Christ, many of those doubts would flee away. So we're meant to bring the world to Christ, that includes yourself, but then bring other people as well. Point people to Christ as often as you can, to Christ's word. Put more of the word of God in your conversations. Put more of the word of God in the things that you write, the emails that you send, the Facebook posts you make if you use Facebook or Twitter or those kinds of mediums, put the word of God, the word of Christ, which is far more powerful than the word of man, in as much of the material that you send out. Bring people to the word of Christ. I've started to be conscious of that in the flyers that we send out. We send out flyers at Christmas and Easter. I'm hoping to do another one in August, sort of the middle of the year. So we send out three batches through the year. And I've started to be inclined more and more not to just write my little thing on the back of the, the flyer, to put as much of the word of God on there, put as much of the word of Christ on there. Yes, there's a place for me to explain bits around it, but put as much of the word of God on there. And our posters put up in the poster box, a Bible verse. It looks cliche, but it's the word of Christ. And it's going to be much more powerful than anything that we devise in our minds to put up there. And even in my articles that I put in the bulletins, if you open them up these days, there's a lot of bold there, boldface. And that's because I put the words of Christ in boldface in my bulletin articles. And it looks like I'm sort of being a bit lazy and not really writing much. But I've started to realise more and more that we have visitors who come in and they, they may be the only 
Christian material that they received for quite some time. Let's put some Bible in there and it floats home to them, sits on a kitchen counter somewhere maybe for a while. Let's get as much of the Bible into people's hands as possible because it's the word of Christ and it's far more powerful than anything that man can write or say. The word of God is the great force in this world and we should bring people to it. We should use it as much as we can. I've got a quote from Martin Luther about the work that he did. He was the great reformer. He really sparked the Protestant Reformation and he did great damage to the Roman Catholic Church's reputation. Lots of people left the Roman Catholic Church as a result of the work of Martin Luther. What was the secret of his success as a pastor, as a great reformer? Well, he says in one of his sermons, I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. He never took up arms against the Roman Catholic Church. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word, copied it out for people. He translated the Bible into German. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, Luther was not a Baptist, he drank beer. While I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have been brought I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Lots of people were rallying to him. He could have led an army. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. What do you suppose is Satan's thought when one tries to do the thing by kicking up a row? He sits back in hell and thinks, oh, what a fine game the poor fools are up to now. When you try your human efforts, does it worry Satan? Not a bit. But when we spread the word alone and let it alone do the work, that distresses him. For it is almighty and takes captive the hearts. And when the hearts are captured, the work will fall of itself. Do you want people to come to a saving knowledge, to repentance and faith of Jesus Christ? Take them to the word and let it do the work. Because that is the way that people come to know that Jesus is the saviour, really is the saviour of the world. Let's come before our God in prayer now. Let's speak to him. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that it does indeed convince us that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. We thank you that we can read it any time, that it's right before us in our own tongue and that Jesus speaks to us day by day if we would have ears to listen. So, Lord, we pray that we would do so and we pray that we would take the word to those around us. May we not be afraid to quote from scripture. But Lord, may we always put your word before us. 
may it indeed be our sword as we seek to bring people into your kingdom. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.